Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Here you go. Here you go. 2,000 to 1. 2,000 to 1. That was the odds that you could get if you predicted the Washington Nationals were going to sweep the Houston Astros. When I saw that line, that is way too low. You've got Cole in game one, Verlander in game two. I would need 10,000 to one that they'd even get a game in Houston, which is of course why I've got a Monday to Friday job with all of you that I'm so thankful for. Because guess what happened? The Nationals are now up two to zero on the road in Houston, they spent all season, the Astros did, trying to get home field advantage in the this game no longer counts, all-star game, MLB, World Series, home field. Houston had it, best home record. This is a cakewalk second World Series in three years, favored in the series two and a half to one. Wouldn't you know it, you have to play the games. We talked about the simulations. My prediction's still possible, Astros in six. What happened in that game, too? Well, the Astros came in, and after Cole gave up five runs, which was an absolute nightmare for the Astros, but we knew that was going to happen because he he's human. He couldn't win every start the entire year. He couldn't give up no runs. The offense was a major problem. Verlander comes in, first inning issues, but he's going to turn him around. He's going to make sure that he's got his curveball working out of the bullpen because he knows the Nats are sitting on the fastball. Get ready, get set, walk. Four-pitch walk to Trey Turner. I'm watching that game as the president of the Houston Astros, and I have got my lips on a cup and a straw at the ready. Not the way you want to start it. Turner walks. Before you know it, first and second, second and third, Rendon off the wall. Two nothing. Before people had taken their seats, you were still online in the restroom having had your first beer missing the pregame show and your team's down to nothing. No problem. Let's get them out of it and see what happens. We go bottom one. Alex Bregman, cleanup hitter, MVP candidate, cold as ice, Mick Jones. That's what he is. That's a foreigner reference, folks. Hot-blooded. Google it. Bregman. Two-run Johnson off Strasburg, tied it to everything's right in the world. Everything is spinning correctly until, of course, the seventh inning. Verlander, pitch count up. They've got to go to the bullpen. In comes Ryan Presley, and the Nats offense got it going. They got a home run from Kurt Suzuki, 
no relation to Ichiro, but he showed Ichiro's power, hit a home run to take a 3-2 lead. It was as though the air came out of the Astrodome. Yes, I know it's Minute Maid Park, but I love calling it the Astrodome. The air came out. There's nothing better. I loved winning on the road more than I loved winning at home because when you win on the road, you're surrounded by silence. In Chicago, we were surrounded by sobbing. In New York, we were surrounded by silent disbelief. It's such a great feeling. The Nationals got that because the Houston crowd could not believe it. And then the wheels came off the wagon. There was no wagon. You couldn't even see the wheels. Final score, Nationals 2, Astros 0. Yeah, that wasn't the score of the game. That's the score of the series. That means game three takes on a completely important... What shall I say about game three? Well, you'll have to tune in because it's coming up and we're gonna talk about it because right now it's a travel day and an off day. And what the Astros are trying to accomplish, it's not easy. They wanna be a dynasty. They're built to be a dynasty. Second World Series appearance in three years, trying to get their second ring in three years. They were built to last. They bring in Greinke because Cole is gonna leave during free agency. Let a piece go, bring in another piece. When I think about dynasties in sports, one of the dynasties that I've lived through just recently, we all have, is the Golden State Warriors. How is it that dynasties are formed, and how is it that they are kept together? Well, what came out yesterday is we knew that Draymond Green and Kevin Durant, we knew they were good friends, but we always knew there was tension. Why? Because when you have a team of guys together, and you're building toward victory, your first ever championship, you're comrades in arms, you're holding hands, you're unified in the direction you wanna go. You have your eye on the same prize. It's not about the individual, it's not about the contract, it's not about who's getting paid, it's about the bling. Then you get the first bling. Then you get yourself together and that's when coaching happens. Steve Kerr kept that team tight and explained to them, having come from another dynasty, the Chicago Bulls, winning one ring is nice, many people don't have it, like Patrick Ewing, like Charles Barkley, like Andre Dawson, the list goes on and on. But you know what's better than one? So I've heard, two rings. The Warriors find a way to get to two. All of a sudden, you're beginning to realize it's a dynasty, but then cracks begin to show. You have fissures in the clubhouse because the green monster, and I don't mean Fenway, that is what breaks up dynasties, the green monster of jealousy. You've got Morgan Freeman and Brad Pitt. You're going through greed. It, the reason why it's a sin is that it tends to break up anything good that's happening. Now, Michael Douglas will tell you greed is good. My view of greed, it's outstanding if everyone is being greedy about the same thing. The problem is in clubhouses, when rings have been won, you've got players starting to focus on their own free agency, their own money, their own deals. They're looking to see who's getting more attention, not just within your market, but also from the league from national press, local press. You're looking, you're literally counting commercials, endorsements. Wait a minute, you're endorsing green peas? I'm endorsing squash. Wait, you got a million? I only got 200K. These conversations happen in clubhouses. And when the greed starts, that's when the winning ends. And what happened in Golden State, it's not about the Clay Thompson injury, it's not about Kevin Durant going to the Nets and free agency, this is about what happens when friends work together toward a common goal and then that common goal changes. 
As a front office, you've got to keep moving pieces in and out. What the Patriots have done to me is fascinating as a dynasty. What's the constant? Belichick, Brady, but players are in. Gronk, but players come in, players come out. But you keep a small core nucleus. It'll be interesting to watch as Golden State begins to defend its latest finals appearance, where they obviously lost to the Raptors. It'll be very interesting as we watch this season proceed what happens in the clubhouse without Kevin Durant and whether or not the front office can find a way to reinvigorate the Warriors in order to put them in a position to continue their dynasty. Because if they do not make the playoffs or do not make the finals, end of dynasty. If they lose in the finals, dynasty over. They've got to win another title in order to continue the dynasty. Second place doesn't matter. It's irrelevant. You don't play just to be the conference champion. You play for the championship. You play for the ring. When you talk about playing for the ring, this is the time of year in the in baseball when the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manford, is absolutely obsessed and should be with the focus being on baseball. It's the World Series. We want everything to be roses. We want it to smell perfect. I've been around World Series, not just as a participant, but I've gone to many World Series, and so much work goes in to making not just the media, but the fans, everyone believe that the epicenter of baseball is for this week in October, and there's no problems. Everything's perfect. It's not that you wanna sweep anything under the rug, you wanna make sure that there's no bad PR stories, you wanna control the narrative. It's why there's only announcements on off days as an example for managers, which we'll talk about later. What's happening in this year's World Series is staggering in terms of the negative PR that Rob Manford has had to deal with. He had a scrum pregame in Houston and listen to the subjects that he was speaking about. Number one, he talked about juiced balls. No bueno, that's not a conversation you wanna be having. Number two, he talked about the fight that's going on between minor league baseball and major league baseball. That'll be a whole segment one day on this show, but that is not what you want the focus to be on. They talked about what happened in the Houston clubhouse. You've heard about it here, you're gonna hear about it more with their assistant GM. There's an investigation going on. These are all coming at Commissioner Manfred. He has to address all of them. He's got veins popping out of his neck. You can see he is absolutely tense and angry because that's not where the focus should be. Oh, by the way, Commissioner, the ratings were down amongst the lowest ever in the World Series. Another thing you don't wanna talk about. But then out of nowhere, out of nowhere came the following. Umpires. Why are we talking about umpires during the World Series? Because Rob Drake is an umpire who picked the absolute worst time to send the following tweet. I'm getting an AR-15 rifle. Because if you impeach, all caps, my president, this way, you will have another civil war, hashtag, MAGA 2020. Just to be clear, I'm not talking about Rob Drake's right to send out a tweet. I'm not taking away his freedom of speech or his freedom of expression. What I am saying is he's got pretty bad timing, such bad timing that his own union came out with a statement saying that he should not have done what he did. 
And if you're not guilty, Rob, how come you deleted the tweet? That's not a walk back, that's a delete. And then you go one more and you delete your account. That's a true, true, triple walk back. Why do I have an issue with this? Let me count thy ways. The first one is, I don't want my umpires buying rifles and discussing civil wars during the World Series. I don't want them doing that or discussing it anytime because I don't want any part of any of that. I want peace on earth. But what I really want is an umpire who's focused on getting calls right. I want an umpire to tweet, how about tweeting about robot umps? How about tweeting about the fact that I wanna make sure that all calls are done correctly and that we make the right calls? How about tweeting about the rights of players, umpires, and the relationship between them? But instead he chooses this moment to talk about a civil war because of the impeachment inquiries? No one wants to talk about the impeachment inquiries during the World Series. People wanna talk about the World Series because that's what baseball is for, entertainment, an escape. And the issue is when you mix escape and entertainment and you work in the problems that occur in real life, you're alienating your fans. When I'm being entertained, I don't wanna think about all my problems. When I'm watching the World Series, I wanna think about the emotion of my team. I wanna have James Earl Jones's voice in my head I don't want Rob Drake's fingers on my computer. This is an issue that clearly is not gonna go away. MLB has already started an investigation, and this investigation will not end well for Mr. Drake. He is protected by a union, but the union is not supportive, Major League Baseball is not supportive, and this is a definite third rail situation during the World Series, and I feel for Commissioner Manfred, who is a great ninth commissioner of baseball, having to deal with all of these issues instead of talking about the greatness of these teams and the stories of these players and the benefits of having a team like the Nationals in their first ever World Series, the possibility of a five foot five guy being an MVP of a World Series and hitting home runs off Chapman to get into the World Series and then playing again a sold-out facility in our nation's capital hosting their first ever game tomorrow night since 1933, but first ever for the franchise, and instead we're talking about fights with minor league baseball. We're talking about juiced balls. We're talking about umpires. We're talking about assistant GMs. Assistant GMs should be seen and not heard, and barely seen and barely heard. And now there is a load of issues that MLB's dealing with, none of which should be. One of the things that I think about a lot as I am trying to navigate through PR and think about when I'm running the team, which I did for many years, just thinking about when do I want stories released and when they get released, what do I do if I lose control of that story and how does that story end? How do I sort of cut the head off the story? One of the great examples of that is happening right now with NBA in China. Those are two things which we know very well, we've covered them on this show, you've read articles about it, yet the story continues to be told, and this is why. Tonight we've got the Milwaukee Bucks, a great story with Giannis, an MVP candidate, going in to play the Houston Rockets with James Harden and their new acquisition, Russell Westbrook. Great story. That's what we wanna be talking about. Instead, what we know is that China has decided they're not showing this game on TV. 
That may sound like a small deal to you, and it's not getting a lot of attention. Why is that? Because to people, when they hear stories, NBA China, they read tweets, they talk about it, the pundits talk about it, it's on every show, we covered it, but then they move on to the next thing. Except in the real world, in the business world, in the boardroom, those issues don't die like that. It's like when something happens to you and or you're watching a news show and it's a news show about a story of, uh, of an athlete who had to overcome terrible adversity to get through what, let's say, an addiction to become a first-class athlete. And then you watch the story, you say to your significant other, you say to your friend, you say to your friend at work, you say, wow, I, I really feel for that player. And I'm pretty focused on that right now. Two minutes later, you're focused on something else. But that player who went through that addiction, he's fighting it every single day. That story doesn't die. That's what happens with PR stories. You wanna kill it from a PR standpoint, but the reality of the ripple effect doesn't end. Adam Silver has been dealing, the commissioner of the NBA, Adam Silver has been dealing with the NBA China incident and the loss of revenue every day. I promise you, it's on his agenda. And it's not a small part of his agenda. My prediction is he spends at least one hour every day of his time on the NBA China situation. We don't spend an hour talking about it anymore. We're not thinking about anything other than the Bucks Rockets opening the season. We're hoping that the talk is about the start of the NBA season. You wanna take the negative stories out and let the positive stories come forward. But in real life, in the business world, you gotta deal with that. How does he deal with that? He's gotta make China believe that it still matters to him, that this story still matters. And that's the key when you have a public relations story that's dead, but you have to deal with people who got hurt or people who are angry or business partners where you're losing revenue, you have to make them believe that this is still the most important thing on your list. That's what Adam Silver's doing now. So just because you don't hear the tweets or read the tweets doesn't mean it's not the number one thing happening. Well, we got our off day in the World Series, so everybody catch up on your sleep, but we do have a doubleheader again in basketball. Good news about that is I can promise you that game will end at one, and you'll actually get a doubleheader, eight to 10.30, 10.30 to one, which is more than nine innings of baseball. So what's interesting to me when I think about a day off in the World Series, I think back to what, what I did during the day off, the travel day from, uh, I traveled both from New York to Florida for three games, and then again from Florida back to New York for game six, and you'd think it's an off day, but it's the opposite of an off day. What's actually happening in these two teams, let's go one team at a time. Let's talk about the Houston Astros. They go down 2-0, and then they get on a uh, plane. Nope, they don't, they go home. When you're the home team and you have a travel day, you go home, sleep in your own bed, and you travel on the off day. Then you go get to Washington, then you have a workout. The Nationals finish the game last night. They get right on the plane. They get home quite late, sleep in their bed, and then they will go do a workout as well at the stadium. But the front office doesn't have the opportunity to sleep. What they're working on now is figuring out batting order, approach, and pitching order if Granke does not give them length. Because the bullpen got roughed up in game two. Granke has not been giving length in this postseason, and the batting order needs a jolt. They moved Alvarez up a spot in the lineup and he has answered that call. They've gotta figure out what to do 
to get Bregman going, to get Correa going. So what they do is you get your analytic people, you get your scouts together, and you talk about the first two games. You come up with a game plan and an approach. You then get that communicated to your on-field coaching staff who starts communicating that to the players during the workout. In addition, you are leaving home if you're the Astros, which is a huge benefit because you, you're not worried about as much in terms of tickets, in terms of distractions. If you're the traveling secretary, you are because you've got hotels, you've got to give deal with player tickets, et cetera. But for the players in the front office, it's actually a break to go on the road. From the national standpoint, they are at DEFCON 2 because they have a 2 nothing lead, which means they are preparing the following things. Number one, a World Series party, which industry members go to, sponsors go to, politicians are gonna be going to it, staff members, you're not gonna get any players, but it's for the VIPs. So you're planning all sorts of things for off-site parties. Then you've got a plan for three straight home games, and it's not just a normal weekend series. This is a World Series where your in-game entertainment people have given up control to Major League Baseball. So Major League Baseball comes up with all the ideas for what happens in between innings and then counts on the home team's employees to actually execute them, which is very tough for the employees because they have to do what MLB wants when they're used to doing what they want. So you've got the pressure of coming home, the players have the benefit of their bed, but the pressure of more ticket requests, more appearances, more family, more problems. And as a front office, you are trying not to think about winning four, getting four wins at home, but the owners definitely want to get this clinch. They want to win two out of three at home. They're thinking about what will happen, what they're going to say in the locker room. They're going to say they're not, but I assure you they are. So this off day is anything but off. What I really think about when, uh, I was just thinking about what you do when you've got managerial changes and when you've got hiring managers. And I wanted to talk about some of the changes that have been taking place in Major League Baseball right now. The first thing that happened today, because it's an off day, you have the right to introduce a manager. And you prepare for it, you get ready for it. The Angels knew all along that they were hiring Joe Madden, but that doesn't mean they were necessarily prepared for today. Joe Madden, is gonna meet the media, and he talks to the media in an introductory press conference. When we would introduce managers, we would always want as many players around as we could. We wanna show unity. We wanna show that everyone is behind our new manager. The Angels are trying to show that this is not business as usual. We loved Brad Ausmus, but we are bringing in Grandpa Joe, and he is gonna be the one to take us to the promised land. The first thing that is surprising to me is that Mike Trout was not at the press conference. Now, what they're gonna tell you is, we only had players who were on rehab in LA, players who were live in LA, and Mike Trout is at his home in Jersey. Um, Artie Moreno, the owner of the Angels, it's called a private plane, and Mike Trout just signed a 12-year deal, and not having him at your press conference is not good. Joe Madden will say, no problem, I don't want him to leave his off, his off season. I don't want him to travel more. I've got his full support. And then he'll say, I spoke to him on the phone. N-G-E. It's not good enough. You've got to see Mike Trout. 
at that press conference. Does Mike Trout not want to play in October? Why is it that he is taking advantage of an extra month off? His goal should be October. And he now has a manager who better help him get to October. And it starts off by being at that press conference. Staggering that he would not go. I'm calling you out, Mike, because get on the plane. Bring your family, bring your wife, bring whoever you want, bring your friends. Stop over, go to Vegas, do something, but be there to support Joe Madden. Joe Madden's got a lot of work to do. He's got to figure out what to do with Shohei Otani, all the excitement of a two-way player. Well, now he's a two-way player coming off Tommy John. He did not have a great season at the bat. They rushed him back to be the designated hitter, and they still did not sniff October. They need him to be a pitcher. I've been calling for it from day one. I'm not impressed with two-way players. I'm impressed with Cy Young Award winners, and I'm impressed with MVPs. Shohei, choose one and do it. Then he's got to worry about the Tyler Skaggs investigation. This is what Joe Madden's walking into. This is not like walking in to peaches and cream and automatic rings that he's trying to fit for himself, where he's walking into the situation where he's going to get another World Series automatically. He's got to get everything right, and it starts with the opening press conference, and the Angels didn't start correctly. Here's another team that claims they started correctly. I'm not actually sure they did. Uh, San Diego Padres announced today they hired Jace Tingler. Raise your hand. Wait a minute, I won't see if you do. Yell into your phone. No, I won't hear you. Just tell me if you've heard of Jace Tingler. Anyone? Bueller? Tingler? Silence. You know who has heard of Jace Tingler? A.J. Preller. That's it. Only A.J. A.J. Preller is the general manager for the San Diego Padres. Hey, um, A.J., you got the right to make this hire, and you better have gotten it right, because if not, this will finally be your last act as GM. I figured his last act as GM had already happened. Their owner is Ron Fowler. Ron Fowler did something after this terrible last place season that took place after having signed Manny Machado. Ron Fowler said, if we don't have a better year next year, I'm going to fire myself. Uh, I don't even know what that means. Owners can't fire themselves. Why would you ever fire yourself? You fire everybody else. So instead they fire Andy Green. The total impact of firing Andy Green is de minimis. Then Ron Fowler gives all of the authority to A.J. Preller to bring in his hand-picked guy. And he's going to get into bed with, ready, Jace Tingler, second youngest manager. He's 38 years old. He may be the next Casey Stengel. He may be the next Tony La Russa. He may be the next Joe Torre. Everybody on the count of three, start holding your breath. Because what the Padres still have is Eric Hosmer, who has an albatross contract, Will Myers, who has an albatross contract, and Manny Machado, who just signed a 10-year, $300 million deal. And guess what? They're one year in, 10% done, no playoffs. So the Padres need to find a way to fix themselves on the field, and A.J. Preller is supposed to be doing it. He thinks he's doing it by bringing in his guy, who he knows from Texas. I'm not so sure it's going to work in that division. Now, will he get him to fourth place? Maybe. But guess what that's worth? Absolutely zero. Good luck, Jace. And you too, AJ.
What's funny also is that Joe Girardi, he got hired. No, not the Mets. He's going to the Philadelphia Phillies. He was never going to the Mets. But let's talk about his fit in the Phillies because it's a good fit. No, it's not actually a good fit. Why not? Let's talk about it. I had Joe Girardi. We interviewed him. We talked about him yesterday on the show. If you didn't listen to yesterday's show, go to it wherever you find your podcasts and feel free to to rate, review, and tell me if you agree with what I said about Joe. What I said is he better have changed because the old Joe I know, that's not going to work too well. John Middleton, the owner of the Philadelphia Phillies, underwent an exhaustive process to decide to fire Gabe Kapler, interviewing players like Bryce Harper, JT Realmuto, and then he did it again to figure out who to hire as manager. And he had a list of Dusty Baker, Buck Showalter, and Joe Girardi. One thing I'll say for Joe, his players like him. The other thing I'll say for Joe is that he's really good from inning one to inning nine. So for about an average of three hours and 45 minutes per game, Joe's your guy. But in Philadelphia, there are 22, 21, how's my math? Hold on, I'm checking the math. 20 plus hours when, of a day when you're not playing where you better understand how to deal with the fans in Philly. It's not like New York, Joe. It's certainly not like Miami. Those fans in Philly, they booed Gabe Kapler his first home game. There's no honeymoon. You've got to get your team to perform. The problem is you don't have the pieces that you think you have. You have pitching issues. You have hitting issues. And you've got Bryce Harper, a player who's just in the beginning of a 13-year deal. But people will say Joe's changed. He managed to last with the Yankees for 10 years. But why did Joe leave the Yankees? Why was a managerial change in New York necessary to go to Aaron Boone? Was it a difference of payroll? Was it a difference of all of a sudden that now Aaron Boone helps them win 100 games two years in a row, first manager to ever do it? I don't think so. I think it's a difference in how Joe Girardi works with the front office. I'm not sure that he's changed enough. And in Philadelphia, if you think that John Middleton is not going to be involved with what you're doing, Joe, you're wrong. No matter what he said during the interview, if you think Matt Klintak and you are going to be bosom buddies like Peter Scolari and Tom Hanks, Google it. You're wrong because that's not going to happen either. Matt Klintak is not going to hitch his horse to your saddle. He's bringing you in because he, he thinks that you're the best chance and the best person to save his own job. That's why we hire people below us because we want to make ourselves look better. Except the mistake here is that Joe's interest is in making himself look better. And in a city like Philadelphia, what they want is to make the fans look better. They want the fans. Fans want fans. It's about fans. Fans want winning. That's all they want. So it better happen that that team improves or the honeymoon with Mr. Girardi is going to end before it even starts. I'm not sure he makes the playoffs with that team. I'm not sure that he lasts through the term of his contract. It's a very interesting decision, but one thing I do know, he got paid. The other thing I know for sure is that he's not going to be the manager of the Mets, and people are going crazy today, and I love it. I love it when the New York papers and the tabloids start writing articles saying, we wanted Joe, we lost Joe Girardi. They have such Yankee envy, right, that everyone thought the Wilpons were definitely going to hire Joe Girardi. Why not take a Yankee manager? It works perfectly into the narrative that they feel like the Yankees' ugly stepchild or stepsister or brother. 
But guess what? Joe Girardi was never even a real candidate in New York. Never going to happen. Two reasons. Benjamin and Wilpon. Benjamin. It's about the Benjamins. They don't want to pay a manager, and I agree with them. They don't want to pay a manager what Joe Girardi wanted to get paid. But the second reason is the Wilpons, who are very, they're good people. You can talk about their ownership run. You can talk about their playoff appearances. You can talk about Bernie Madoff. You can talk about anything you want. The reality is they want to win. They're doing the best they can to win, but they are involved. Jeff Wilpon is involved. There's no way that Jeff Wilpon was going to ever work with Joe Girardi. It wouldn't have lasted past the press conference. How do I know it? Because I was involved as a team president. Let's say I'm even tied with Jeff at level of involvement. Well, I'll tell you, for me, it was at the press conference with Joe that I knew I couldn't live with him. If Jeff Wilpon is more involved than I was, it would be before the press conference that he would discover that he couldn't live with him. Except he's now got 10 years of a track record. Girardi does. So Wilpon knew immediately what he was up for. Now, they did a long interview. He got called back for a second interview. I've got two words for you. Eyewash. It didn't mean a thing. So now you're left with candidates Eduardo Perez and Carlos Beltran. And they are being set up to fail because the fan base had expectations, because there's an absence and a void of communication with your fan base. And anytime there's an absence of communication, believe me, it will get filled. And it gets filled by people who don't have all the information. It gets filled by, by hatred and emotion, which is why as a team president, you want to make sure there are no voids in PR and communication. Even if you don't like my PR, even if you don't like me, I'm still controlling the narrative. The Mets are not. So the articles are coming out. They went the cheap way. They're now getting a puppet for Brody Van Wagenen. 25 of the managers are puppets for the GMs and the owners. That's normal. Why pay a puppet 5 million when you can pay a puppet 1 million or 750 grand? That's called good business. I don't blame the Mets for wanting to hire Eduardo Perez or Carlos Beltran. Beltran to me is the better fit. He's a good guy in the clubhouse. I, I had Eduardo Perez as a hitting coach. His father, Tony Perez, and I watched games together for 16 years, Tony Perez and I, and I know Eduardo, I know his family. He is a great man, a gentleman. He calls games very well. His voice is soothing. Do I think that he's got the leadership qualities to go into New York and deal with the New York media and deal with the Brody Van Wagenen? Do I think that Brody Van Wagenen is gonna make his first and, my opinion, last managerial decision by hiring Eduardo Perez? I do not. I think they go Carlos Beltran, who had a feud with Jeff Wilpon, but of course they said they're both forgiven and they love each other and they hugged and made up and fist bumped. And Carlos Beltran had the quote of the year, I don't wanna manage anybody but the Mets. His next sentence I thought was gonna be, because I love and respect the organization, I think Fred Wilpon is a great owner, I think Brody Van Wagenen is an up and coming perfect GM, we mesh perfectly, we've got the personnel to do it, Carlos Beltran could have said any of those things. I would have liked all of those things. Instead, Carlos Beltran said, I only want to manage the Mets because I live in New York. Because I live in New York. It's not going to work. Can't have a manager 
only because it's his hometown, so he has a better commute, better for his family. No, you do this because you wanna be all in in the deep end. You think Aaron Boone is focused on the fact that he does or does not live in New York? He's working 24 seven, no exaggeration, to make the Yankees a better team. It's gonna be very interesting to me to see whether or not the New York Mets go with Beltran, and if they do, exactly what's gonna happen. Reviewing a show today, uh, just on a different subject, because it's a subject that fascinates me and is very interesting to me, called Iron Cowboy. Iron Cowboy is a documentary about a man, he is a man, I checked him. I mean, I didn't check him that way, I didn't ask him to cough, but I know he's a man. And he did 50 Ironmen in 50 days in 50 states. Let me say that one more time. 50 Ironmen in 50 days in 50 states. Do you know what an Ironman is? You swim 2.4 miles. Then you get on a bike and bike 112 miles. And then you run a marathon, which is 26.2 miles. That's an Ironman. Swimming 2.4 miles, when I did that, it took me an hour and 36 minutes. Biking 112 miles, when I did that, it took me seven hours and 40 minutes. And then running a marathon, when I did that, it took me five and a half hours. Yes, it took me 15 hours and 36 minutes and 44 seconds to do the Hawaii Ironman in 2006. And then it took me six months to recover. That's not an exaggeration. I was sick, I was in pain, I couldn't think about getting on a bike, my bike smelled, I couldn't think of running a step, and the thought of going into an ocean, there's anything I would rather do than another Ironman. So what this guy does, James Lawrence, is he wakes up the next day in a new state and does another Ironman. Not a half Ironman, a full one. This documentary goes through his entire 50-day process and how logistically you go from state to state doing an Ironman. And what bothers me about the human condition is that this is one of the great feats of all time. Yet in the documentary, they address some of the controversy because some of the days they had some lightning and weather issues and instead of biking on the road, he got on a bike in a gym and biked 112 miles. I ask you, if you're watching or listening, if you biked 112 miles on your Peloton, would you say that you didn't bike 112 miles? No, you did bike 112 miles. And if you ran 26.2 on a treadmill, would you say you didn't run a marathon? Because I would. The marathon is the distance. It doesn't mean that you have to be on the road getting hit by lightning or getting run over by cars. It just means you have to cover the distance. It's not that these were official races in every city and state that he went to. He had to cover the distance. One of the controversies, however, is real, and it is about doping, and I'm not gonna give it away. I don't wanna spoil it, but I want you to watch Iron Cowboy and learn how one man can do what to me is impossible, 50 Iron Men in 50 days in 50 states. Check it out today. One of the things that I can say about, well, Iron Cowboy, you gotta watch it on uh, Netflix if you have Netflix. If you don't have Netflix, find it somewhere else, because it could be somewhere else. I think I watched it on Netflix. 
Uh, I, I was obsessed with the documentary. I've actually watched it twice trying to formulate my opinion. So hit me up at David P. Sampson on Twitter when you watch Iron Cowboy. I'm very curious what your view is of some of the controversies. One of the things that uh, we also do for you here is that we come up with picks. And what I really like about picks is that what I think we're learning here as we build our audience host relationship is that if you really want to win money, you have to take picks with a grain of salt because do you think just because I was the president of a team for 18 years that I know what's gonna happen? Do you think I'm some sort of gambling genius? I simply look at a game, I look at value, and I give my opinion. My opinions are for opinion only. I've heard from a few of you, and I don't mind, that you made plays legally in legal states based on my picks, but don't blame me. I'm doing this to tell you why I'm making the pick, and then you decide what you're gonna do. But if I'm gonna get the blame, I'm not gonna block you because I, I don't like people who block people on Twitter. I'm not gonna block you. You can DM me, tell me why you don't agree, but don't tell me you bet your life savings on it. It's not a stock pick. It's a game. Today's game that I wanna talk about is back to the Bucks and Rockets. The interesting thing is that only in the US will we be able to watch that game. But I'm very curious how James Harden and Russell Westbrook are gonna be as a team. Game one is always tough to call in a season. Preseason does not count. James Harden is doing his step backs and he's doing his threes off one foot. They're not playing in the proper rotation with the proper minutes, so I ignore it. Russell Westbrook, he of the triple threat. Triple, it's called when you get 10 points, 10 assists, 10 rebounds. It's a triple, Coke, it's not a triple threat. I'm blanking, it's called something else. It's a triple double, thank you. That is called a senior moment when you're over 50 and the word is right there right there on the tip of your tongue. Russell Westbrook is the king of the triple-double, but really not the king of being successful in the NBA other than triple-doubles. So he comes to the Rockets and it becomes a very big story. For Houston, this is a critical season for them. They've got to win the championship this year, not just to save Daryl Morey's job, but because you don't wanna waste having a player like James Harden and not win a title. So, they're playing the Bucks. Why are the Bucks interesting to me? Because they've got the best player in the NBA in the smallest market. It reminds me of Kareem Abdul-Jabbar when he was a Buck. As you recall in the 70s, he led the Milwaukee Bucks to a championship and then was summarily traded to the Los Angeles Lakers where he then made his claim to fame by winning more championships. He is much more well-known as a Laker. The NBA wants its biggest players in its biggest markets. Don't kid yourself. Those of you listening to Milwaukee, and I know some of you who are, the league wants Giannis not to be in Milwaukee. They get more money by having him in a larger market. But for now he is, and he's fun to watch, so you should watch the game. But why is it that the Bucks are only underdogs by two points? It makes no sense. They lost, Bledsoe's not playing, they have injuries. This is all about the Rockets not having team continuity and bringing in a second superstar to play with the first superstar. How will it work? My guess is it doesn't work in game one. If you wanna win tonight, then you're taking the bucks, you're taking the points, and I'm not telling you the Rockets are gonna win by one or two points, I'm telling you the Bucks win this game in Houston, game one. Harden is gonna shoot, let's say seven for 20 from three-point range. It's gonna be Chuck and Duck City. The other thing we do on our show, which I love to do, is called Wait to See. Wait to See is where 
we have accountability. And the reason why we have accountability on our show and why I like accountability is that I want you not to think that I'm just saying things and running away from them or stepping back or walking back. We're keeping track of every way to see for every show. And when there is a result, we're gonna go back and tell you whether we were right or wrong. My way to see is based on this year's World Series where everyone is assuming that it is the end of the World Series when the road team wins the first two games. As a matter of fact, you have to go back to 1996 when the New York Yankees lost the first two games in New York to the Atlanta Braves. And then, of course, what happened? They swept the next four and won the title. This series is far from over. MLB needs this series to go six or seven games. You've got to find a way to get it back to Houston if you're MLB. The umpires know it. The players know it. The owners know it. It is clear as day. A sweep is not what MLB is looking for. I am looking for this World Series to go the distance so the narrative of the World Series can change and the focus can be put back on the field. Because if this sweep happens or a five-game series that's a blowout, then we are gonna be knee-deep in off-season issues and free agency and lack of players signing and all the controversies that Rob Manfred has been discussing. But if we get a game seven, it's all about the field. And the Houston Astros are gonna win three out of the next four games, and you will have a game seven back in Washington, back in Houston, and I'll tell you later who I think is going to win that game. I've definitely enjoyed talking about all these issues today. A lot of managerial uh, changes. We got more coming. I think you're going to see Mike Matheny hired by the Royals. There are a few more openings. You've got to get that done before the GM meetings take place in the first week of November. We've got the NBA starting, NFL week eight coming up. So it is a great month to be a sports fan. And what I love my time with you is we get to break through all the clutter and do some decoding. But you always have to remember, it's just business. It's nothing personal.